0: Hello Bethel's Rock. We are coming to you from the Sea of Galilee in Israel. This is where Jesus would have been one week after the resurrection. You know the Passion Week is an incredible time of the year. It's a week in which we celebrate what Christ did um, from the time that he entered the city of Jerusalem as he progresses through the week and Passover. And then you have the a crucifixion on Friday, and then the resurrection on Sunday. And you can just imagine the emotional high that must have been for those disciples. You know, really, uh, a week before that, as they're coming into the city, like everything is revving up, the people are excited. They believe this could be the revolutionary that's gonna change everything. He's the one that's gonna come and overthrow the Romans and and they had to be extraordinarily excited about what was ahead, only to come to the point of realizing Jesus had no plan of kicking out tempor- temporary oppressors. In fact, not only did he have a plan, of uh, his plan wasn't going to get rid of them, his plan was actually to redeem them. The very people that the Jews hated, Jesus came to save and to save them as well. And so one week after the resurrection, you come to this point when the disciples have walked through this whole Passion Week. They've had the emotional highs and the emotional lows. They were hiding, afraid for their lives. And then the next thing you know, Jesus is resurrected, reveals himself to them, and they become believers that this guy wasn't just any man. He was really God in a body. But they had spent the last three and a half years of their life running around the countryside with Jesus, seeing every kind of miracle you could imagine. And now Jesus is gone. They know he's God. They've seen him alive after being crucified. But how do you recover when for the last three and a half years of your life, you've been running with Jesus, learning from Jesus, getting his teachings and experiencing the adventure And now he's gone. Where do you go now? Who's gonna lead this? If he's not there, who's gonna lead this? And Jesus, after the first time he had appeared to them, told them to go to the Sea of Galilee. So they obeyed and went up to the Sea of Galilee and they waited there for him. And it's interesting because I think a lot of times when exciting things happen in our life, and we see exciting things happen in our life. We have these emotional highs, and then when, when it's over, when the next day happens or the next week comes, we find ourselves wondering, what, what's our pursuit now? And in 2023, we really have determined that the theme for this year is really kind of getting a hold of the pursuits that God has us on. What is he asking us to pursue? And maybe last week, weekend you gave your life to Christ and you experienced this incredible joy and maybe peace that you haven't had in a long time. Or maybe you're someone who's been serving the Lord your whole life and and you went through Easter and it was exciting to see what God did and, and there was this uh, a renewal of emotion for what he did for you personally. But it's like it comes back to this, well, if He paid the price, and we're redeemed, what, what's the purpose of this life? What is our pursuit now? Now the, the disciples were faced with this. They, they, their pursuit was to follow Christ. He was their what they pursued. It was all about Jesus. But now that He's gone, and, and for us that are here now, He, he doesn't walk with us every day. Now that they're not there and present, what are we pursuing? And Jesus appeared to the disciples to kind of clear that up for them. You know, after the resurrection had happened, a lot of things took place. One, Thomas was doubting that this was even true, that Jesus was resurrected. You had Peter denying Christ and saying, I don't know him, and even calling curses down on himself. You had the other disciples running and hiding, you know, just a few hours before they're having dinner with him saying, we love you, Jesus, we'll give our life to you. And the next thing we know, they're all gone because of the fear of their life. There's a whole lot of things that took place that Jesus needed to clear up before he went up to the Father. And we're going to see that in the text we're going to look at today. You know, Jesus had told them to go to the Sea of Galilee and he told them to do that because he was going to meet with them there. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Um, Before I get into the the story of what took place, it was interesting because on Easter, um, Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for us and his blood covers us. So when death comes... It will pass over us. It really points back to the days of Moses when the Israelites knew the death angel was going to come. They applied the blood to their doorpost and the death angel passed over them. Then they left to cross over out of slavery into the promise that God had for their life. Last weekend, some of you had The blood of Jesus applied to you and death will pass over. But God now wants us to cross over into the promises that he has for your life. And he had to get the disciples ready they have been redeemed. Their sins were forgiven. God wasn't focusing on their failures and what they had done. But God wanted to reassure him. And Jesus wanted to reassure them that they were still his disciples, that he still loved them, and there was still an adventure for them. You know, I think the devil convinces us a lot of times that when we fail or we make mistakes, that somehow we have to do our penance, that God won't use us or cause us to participate in what He's doing. It's quite the opposite. The glory of the Lord is when we walk through our mistakes and we continue to walk for the Lord, accomplishing what He's called us to because He has truly purchased all of our death on the cross and given us the life through the resurrection. So let's let's go over to this place in the kingdom of God uh, that he's called us to. Jesus knew all about the kingdom. He died. He was resurrected. And he didn't talk about the cross. He talked about the kingdom of God. He comes back to this unseen kingdom. It, it was a, he wanted them to cross over into an invisible kingdom that although it couldn't be a scene, the effects of that kingdom were very evident. And he wanted them to see that. So we're going to look at John 3, 3-8, Jesus said, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Later in that same passage, he said, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Now, it's an interesting thing because much of Jesus' ministry was around water, and much of who you are is water. Now, if you gave your life to Christ last weekend... I want to encourage you to be baptized in water. You see, when you came to Christ, you gave your life to Christ, it says you could see the kingdom of God. But to walk in this invisible kingdom, you walk through the doors of being baptized in water and in spirit. So I want to encourage you when the next water baptism comes up, to be a part of it, to make time uh, to be a part of water baptism, because it's the first step. Why? You you ask, why did those people get baptized in water last week? Because Jesus said to. It's a step of obedience to obey. Am I going to obey what the king of this kingdom is asking me to do and taking a step? You know, it's interesting. Um, The people around Jesus at the time wanted him to resist the Roman oppression that was over them. And it was throughout the history throughout Jewish history. They were always trying to overthrow whatever authority was over them. They, they always wanted to rule their own life. And that often is the same case for every single person I've ever met. We want to be able to control our own life. We wanna have authority over our own life. And Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, you submit to the authority of God and you obey what he's asking you to do. And that's before we're ever gonna be able to walk in the kingdom of God, we have to get obedience right. We have to submit. Two words no American likes is obedience and submission. And I wanna encourage you to stop and take a look at how's your pursuit going in obeying and submitting to what God is asking you to do. So let's get back to the story of this place here on the Sea of Galilee one week later. Um, the disciples come up here. They've seen Jesus. They know he's resurrected. They've been obedient to come here to this spot on the Sea of Galilee. And if you look out, you can see um, Arabel in the distance in the cliff, and then Tiberius right behind us. Capernaum is in that direction. Mig- Dala is in that direction where they believe Mary Magdalene was, would have been. Uh, Capernaum is where they believe most of Jesus' ministry would have been done. The Sermon on the Mount is actually in the direction right in front of me. And this is the context. They came back to the place where they had spent much of their time with Jesus. And, and as they're waiting for whatever's supposed to happen and in some ways they know probably on the day of Pentecost something's supposed to happen but they're here and they're waiting for whatever Jesus had planned for them and they make the decision probably Peter made the decision hey let's go out fishing and so they go out get in their boat and they go out fishing fishing in the evening and they go out at night because that's where the fish would come to the surface a lot of fishing was done at night and they go out fishing that night And they caught nothing. They weren't able to catch anything. And you'll find all of this in John 21. If you want to read it, you'll be able to find it in John 21. It said that they were coming in because they caught nothing. And it was moving into morning. So they thought, let's go back in. And as they're coming in, they see this person on the shore and they, they're not sh- certain who it is and is, and, and—and—and yet they can hear this person and they're coming in and the person yells out at them, hey, hey, did you catch any fish? Now the one thing fishermen j- don't like to hear or a question fishermen don't like to answer when they haven't caught anything is no, we haven't caught any fish, they're already frustrated, they've been out trying to catch fish. But as they're coming in, they respond, no, we haven't caught anything. And this person on the shore says, oh, I know why you haven't caught anything. You were fishing off the wrong end of the boat. You need to start fishing off the right side of the boat. And I'm sure they're like, oh, we're fishermen. Why didn't we think of that? Like, why, why didn't we think we should have went off the other side for some reason? My guess is they had tried finishing off fishing off both sides of the boat, but it just wasn't working. Now this is the the amazing thing to me. In the scripture it says they didn't really know who it was until after they had caught the fish, but they responded to this person by doing what the person said. They threw the nets off the other side of the boat, and it said that they caught so many fish that they had to, that, that they literally struggled to get the fish in the boat. And while they're, they're pulling the fish into the boat, P, uh, John says to Peter, I think that's the Lord. Well, that's all that needed to be said. And Peter takes his coat and puts it on. Now, most people who jump in the water take their coat off before they jump in the water. he ju- It says that the, he put his coat on and jumped in the water because when you're someone who's riddled with guilt and shame and the one who can set you free is standing on the shore, you will leave everything behind to find that that place, you will do anything you can to find that place to get free from guilt and shame, to somehow feel redeemed, to get a mind that has been set free from the torment of guilt and shame. And Peter leaves the boat behind, leaves the other disciples, the other seven disciples to take care of the fish as he begins to try to swim to shore. Now, what I think is funny about this, it says that when the boats got to the shore, Peter jumps into the boat. I'm thinking Peter jumped out into the water and didn't swim very well, and the boats made it back before him. And he eventually caught up with them later. And what else is interesting, and this is amazing, is it said when they pulled in the fish, they pulled in 153 large fish. Now, this is an incredible thing because why the detail? Why do you even need to say how many fish? You could say there was a boatload of fish. You could say that the fish were so much, it was more than they even needed. But they said there was 153 fish. They counted them and there were 153 fish. And what's interesting is if you take the letters of the Jewish uh, alphabet and, and the numbers that they apply to and you say, I am God, and you add up the numbers assigned to each of those letters, they equal 153. Pretty incredible that when they were out in the water, Jesus tells them to throw out the net on the other side, and when they pull in the fish, the number of fish says, I am God. It's it's pretty amazing. It's just one of those geeky things that people who love to study the Scriptures find when they look at it, but think of it they weren't catching anything. And it wasn't that they were bad fishermen. It wasn't that the time of the day was wrong. In fact, it wasn't the best time of the day to catch it. But when they obeyed God, they were fruitful. And literally the catch said, God helped you with this. So there's there's four lessons that I really wanna take a look at because when they came in, they found Jesus standing on the shore with a fire And he had some bread, and he had some fish, and he was ready, and they came up, and he said, bring some of the fish, let's cook it. And Jesus had, you know, the last supper before he died, and he had the last breakfast as one of their last meetings on the shores of Galilee. And you can imagine the disciples here sitting on the shore of the place where they had seen Jesus do so many incredible things. They had experienced it all. And now they're having this breakfast with Jesus, not knowing what's ahead. But Jesus is about to anoint them to do the ministry that would take them to the end of their life. And there are four lessons I want to show you in this because I believe God has an adventure for every one of us that are listening to this right now. You say, well, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not that important, or I'm not that smart, or I don't have that much influence, or I, I don't know what God wants me to do. If you're breathing and if you need to check, just take your hand and blow in it. If you felt air in your hands, you're alive and God's got an adventure with you. And I wanna bring you to this beach right here on the Sea of Galilee. I wanna bring you to this place. I wanna bring you around the campfire and around the fish and the bread that Jesus was serving to the disciples. And I want you to hear the lessons that he really was speaking to them in their life. Here's the first one. When they went out, to do what they had always done. You know, before they met Jesus, they were fishermen. And they would go out on this lake and they would catch fish every day. They would get out and bring it in until Jesus came. And when Jesus entered their life, everything changed. They left the nets behind and they became fishermen of, diff- of a different kind. You see, when they went out there, This time they caught nothing. The disciples went back to what they were doing before Jesus. But Jesus came to them. It's like, listen, guys, I know you were fishermen and that's fine and everything, but. That's not what you're now called to do. That's what you did in your past. That's not what you're going to do in your future. And I believe there are times where we think, okay, what do I do now? I've, I've done all of this thing. Where does God want me to go? What does God want me to do? First thing God wants you to do is not return back to the old way of life. They caught nothing because God wasn't going to bless going back to the old way he said now all things become new there's a new way of living there's no going back to the old life romans 6 in the message and this is an incredible text and i want you to read this with me it's it says so so what do we do keep on sinning so god can keep on forgiving i should hope not if we've left the country where sin is sovereign how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. Like this, like it's a new life. This world is passing away. We're not living for this place any longer. We're not living for here. We're living for eternity. It goes on and says, when we were lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new, grace, sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as, as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took his sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it at the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time into this. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God You have to leave the old way of thinking and living behind. You know, repentance, repentance isn't saying I'm sorry. God God isn't so concerned with your sorry. He already knows you're sorry. You're sorry because of the destruction that sin brings into your life. God didn't didn't call us to to things to be sorry when we broke them. God called us to it because it brings uh, blessing into our life. But here's the thing, our pursuit isn't good behavior. That's God's pursuit in us. God delivers as the source of strength to transform who you are. He he doesn't want your pursuit to be good behavior. He, He wants your pursuit to be his heart. He wants you to pursue what he pursues. And what he pursues is the hearts of people. He wants you to love people. He wants you to serve people. He wants your life to be about helping other people and leading them to the power of God that can come and live in them and set them free. That's what he was calling the disciples to. When he brought them here and they were standing around the fire, it wasn't about their behavior. You see, we think that the reason Jesus was, because he had to let Peter know, you really messed up, dude. You need to deal with your sin, man. I thought you loved me. I thought you would have followed me, but that, that's not what Jesus did at all. In fact, Jesus didn't even point at his failure. Jesus like, I need you to get your focus Right now, you're feeling guilt and shame because you're focused on your failure. You're focused on what you're not doing. You're focused on how you've fallen short and how you've failed God. And God's like, I'm the one who will be the source to your transformation. If you come to me, I will work it out in you. But he says, I need you to focus on what I'm calling you to accomplish, to the people that you work with, to the people in your family, to how you're going to release the power of God in their life and deliverance into their life, because you are a vessel, a temple of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus was going away and he needed the disciples and he needs us to be that that temple of God on the planet to release the presence and power of God into people's lives. So don't go back. We're not going back to fishing. We're not going back to the old way of living. We're not going back to the old pursuits. We have a new pursuit, and that pursuit is Christ. The second lesson is there was a fire and prepared breakfast. Like when they went out fishing, they couldn't catch any fish until Jesus told them how. But when they got on shore, the breakfast was already prepared. And for each of us in our life, the breakfast is already prepared prepared. John 15, 50, or 5, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. What he's saying is, listen, I, I already have a story written for you. I already know. I already have plans for you. I know what I desire for your life. And you're wondering, God, what is it you want me to do? God will reveal the next steps in your life. You know, in Psalms it says, his word is a, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And that's exactly what they are. A lamp reveals really the next few steps. God will reveal the open doors for which we're to walk through. And I wanna encourage you to have ears that would hear, to hear what God is sharing with you. When Jesus was was on the, on the beach um, with the disciples, he's like, listen, this is the plan where I'm going to take you. And he he has this conversation with Peter and John, and he says, I'm going to take you places. And these are the things that are going to happen. And you're going to take the gospel. And, And he really tells Peter, he said, listen, I want you to feed my sheep. He goes, if you love me, you will feed my sheep. And I think a lot of the time we think, well, that's more of a message to a pastor or a missionary or someone else. Friend, That's a passage to every one of us. It's the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and feed his sheep. Love his sheep. Love people. Don't hate them because they don't agree with you or don't hold a certain moral standard. In fact, love is never more love than when you love people you don't agree with. When you love people who do evil. When you see the value in people, when you don't like what they're doing, When you see how God loves them, even though they're spitting in the face of God, that's true love. When Jesus loved the Roman centurion, even though he was killing the very people he loved. There's something about that 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 Christ puts in us. You see, we have God living in us, the spirit of that kind of love. The spirit of God is the spirit of love in us that loves people differently than anyone else loves people. And that's what God is calling us to, and He'll reveal it to you. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14 says, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Who will do it? He will. God will always fulfill His promise in your life to to do in you what needs to happen in order for you to accomplish what He wants you to accomplish. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and you will seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you. God's not trying to hide himself from you. He's just waiting for you to submit your future to him. Right now, what I would encourage you to do in this pursuit of what God wants to do in your life, I would, I would literally say this to the Lord because the Lord is waiting for you to declare this over your life. I submit my future to your plans. I choose to step back and say, I'm no longer living this life for me. I'm gonna live it for you and I'm submitting my days, my, whatever I have left in my days, I submit my life to you in the next few days. Here's the third lesson. And it goes back to when they were in the water. (laughs) It says they had a great catch. God is a God of incredible abundance. I think the reason so many people never take the risk of stepping out of a boat or the risk of doing things that require something supernatural to happen is we're afraid of failure we're afraid that if we take out that step of faith, or we take that step of faith, that we'll fall flat on our face. That if we step out of the boat, we'll sink. And so often we live with natural barriers and we can never experience the supernatural power of God in our life because we never take risks. They, they had been out fishing all night long they're coming in. They, they had to have been tired. And yet they listened to the voice of the one on the beach. And I would encourage you are you going to listen to the one on the beach? Even though you've been trying in your own effort over and over and over again, you're saying, Listen, Pastor, I've done it. I've tried it. I've tried to tell people about Jesus. I've tried to pray for people who are sick and didn't happen. It didn't work. I've tried. I've tried. I want to encourage you, and, and I would even ask you, when you went to do that, when you took that step, did you do it wondering if it would work? Did you do it not fully into it, like you, you measured your words, like if it's God's will? Did you, did you, were you fully persuaded when you took that step that it was going to happen? Were you fully committed? to so I'm going all in whether I fail or not. I'm gonna go in and do this. You know, there's, um, you know when you have a great vision, when, you know, you'll you'll hear people say this statement, uh, if you knew you were gonna succeed, what would you do? Well, if I knew I was gonna succeed, there's a lot of things I would do. But let me ask you this, if you knew you were going to fail, what would you do? You see, You really discover what's most important to you, what you really want to do, what your greatest pursuit is, is when you would say, when someone would tell you, you're going to fail at this, and inside of you you'd say, I don't care if I fail, I have to do this. See, I think there are things in life that whether you fail or not, whether you know you're going to fail or not, we must pursue. And I believe that is the heart of a soul. People in our life, That whether we fail or not, we have to pursue their soul. Because there's a real place, there's a real place that is tortured for eternity. And I don't want anyone I love to go to that place. I want to encourage you to take the risk, to step out. See, obedience will lead to abundant living. When you're obedient to the voice of God, whether it's failed in the past or not, if you'll be obedient to what he's asking you to do, you're gonna experience the abundant blessing of God because every time God blessed the people that obeyed, it was always abundantly more than they even needed. The fourth lesson and the last lesson is the nets didn't, the nets didn't tear. Now, maybe in other situations, there were so many fish, the expectation would have been that the nets tear, but the fact that this detail is in the Bible is incredible to me. It means that the load of fish they brought in should have caused the nets to tear. But it was amazing that natural nets were able to bring in a catch that would have normally torn the nets. See, I really believe there's a lesson in that. That in our life we'll be stretched to a point where with anything else we could tear, like we could be broken. I believe God will enable us to have the capacity to do things that we would never be able to do in the natural, but because of the supernatural power of God on our life through the Holy Spirit, we will do things that will be so abundantly full and we will not tear, that we'll be able to handle things and we won't be broken, we won't be victims of what's going on. And I think that's what's happening. When people attack us, when people come at us with words, when people come at us with uh, threats, we, we emotionally struggle. We begin to hate them because of what they've done. Rather than hate them, I think we'll be able to handle things that Norman, normal human beings won't be able to handle because of the love of God that's upon us. It's, it's one of those things where I think we need to stop and we need to say, okay, God, I need to stop telling you what my limitations are and I need to look into your face and to see who you are and recognize that I'm your kid and that your DNA is inside of me and that I'm not going to tear and I'm not going to allow that to be an excuse to keep me from experiencing the supernatural power in my life. There's one final thing that I think is pretty amazing. And that's the big God, big lie that God chooses not to give assignments to those who don't behave well. I think the last part of this passage in John, Peter, why did he want to see Jesus? Because he hadn't behaved well. And I think he was struggling with the sense that he might be rejected. I I just want to be very clear. You may have been rejected in your life, but you've never once been rejected by God. God has never rejected you. In fact, God has loved you in your worst moments as much as he loves you in your best moments. There may be times where God is disappointed because of what you're going to have to walk through because of decisions in your life, but God has never rejected you. God never pointed out Peter's Uh, failures. He never turned their attention. And I've heard people say, well, the reason he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he gave a response. And Peter said, you know, I love you, Lord. Maybe, maybe God was asking those questions three times because he denied Christ three times, but God wasn't pointing to his denial. God was beginning to heal the rejection that, that Peter was sensing in his own spirit. Never did God reject Peter, never did Jesus reject Peter. There was never a point he was like, okay, let's see if I can restore him back to me. Peter was under the blood, that's what he paid for on the cross. He had purchased that rejection of Peter uh, on on the cross. That night, he was already forgiven. But Peter needed to recognize that he wasn't holding that against him. God has an assignment for your life one week after the resurrection, in this location right here, Jesus had his last breakfast with the disciples, getting them ready with their new assignment. You have a new assignment. From the time that you gave your life to Christ, God had a new assignment for you. And I wanna encourage you to pursue what that assignment is. Your life will never be more fulfilled and you'll never appreciate the promises of God more until you recognize that you have a divine purpose for your life. Then it's not about what you want to do. It's about what God wants for your life. I'm going to end on this story. You know, many of you know that I wanted to be a lawyer in my life. And my dad uh, knew that I had a calling on my life to be a pastor. And he never pushed it. He never he never really pushed it on me or put pressure on me, but he kept me bringing me back to that. And I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to do this. I didn't, I didn't want to do what I saw pastors doing. I wanted to be an attorney. I loved to argue. I loved to justice. I'm all about justice and people getting justice. And that's what I was going to do. And nobody was going to tell me what to do. And there, it was really one point on my way going to work one day in high school my senior year, uh, the Lord told me to really listen, just listen to my father. And and something changed in my heart in that moment to do what he was asking. So I I made the decision to go to North Central uh, Bible College for one year. That was it, because I was determined, I was stubborn, I was gonna do what I wanted. I wasn't gonna be a pastor, but I'd I'd go for one year. And I did. And while I was there in that year, I was in a prayer meeting and I'm a believer. I believed God, I believed he saved my soul. It wasn't that I wasn't believing in Jesus. It's just I didn't wanna do what Jesus wanted me to do. I was okay with being saved. I just didn't wanna be obedient to the story God had for my life. I wanted to write my own story. I didn't want someone ruling over me. I didn't want a king. I just wanted someone to help me bless my steps. I wanted him to bless my story. I wanted to use my life for my purpose. And you may be going to heaven, but you've taken your life and you're using it for your purpose. And God says, I have something else I have planned for your life. It's not everyone. Well, one prayer meeting in the evening, I'm sitting there and, and I hear the Lord speak to me. He, and, and, I, and I didn't hear the Lord's voice the entire prayer meeting. And as I'm looking at this, this card in my hand, the Lord said to me, James, you may be a lawyer and you may be successful, but you will never be happy. And, and if I'm being honest, I was pretty angry. And the reason I was angry was because I knew I was not the source to my happiness. I knew I couldn't make myself happy, that God is the source to joy in my life, that God would be the source of peace in my life. And in that moment, it was like a revolution, a revelation unfolded. And I realized in that moment that I was either gonna live my life for the King or i was going to be the, i was going to live my life for me and, and i would be the king of my life friend if he's not lord of everything in your life he's not lord at all if he's not king of everything in your life if you haven't settled who the king is in your life you will always be struggling and searching and pursuing for the things that y- you want in this life and you'll never find it because it isn't until you put him first that order begins to take place in your life. And when order comes into your life, everything flows from there. I wanna encourage you in this pursuit. Jesus had to bring order back to the hearts of the disciples so that they could fulfill the assignment. He in this place, I believe right here in this place, he gave them the assignment to, that when the Holy Spirit will come on you, that you are then to go out and do what I did when I was here. And that's our assignment to do, greater works than he did when he was on this planet. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, right now, I lift up every person that's listening to this, and I'm sure there are many saying, okay, God, this is where I'm at. Maybe I'm retired, maybe I'm in the middle of working this job, or or maybe I'm just getting started. And, and you're sitting there, and Lord, right now, you know where each and every person is at. Lord, I pray that you would begin to give them a revelation of what you have planned for their life. This isn't their life. This is your life that you have given to them. Lord, even right now in this moment, I pray that you would reveal that your Holy Spirit would speak to them from what they're hearing right now from this experience on this seashore, that they would that your holy spirit would use this experience to reveal to them what you have planned for them i pray in jesus name amen i want to hand it over to the campus pastors i can't be can't wait to be back there we're we're here in israel because we're doing a a series called more than a book and in the fall you're going to be able to be a part of really the what, what is the, they call the fifth gospel the gospel that really puts color and geography to the stories of the bible and that th- this coming fall you're going to experience the the bible uh, in a way that's alive and you're going to be in those places where these stories were they're more than myths and fables and stories that people told they really happened and when you begin to see Uh, what took place in this land, this living land, it'll begin to change your life in a powerful way. Join us this fall as well as we go into small groups.